and I was studying Chinese and tones were difficult for me. So the moment I saw Cambodia language, Khmer does not have tones, I said, that's, that's where I'm going. How's the, the language sounds like? Can you speak a few words? How to, how to say, I, I just suck a dick. I could only do that with eat. It sounds less than what it means. Hello everyone, welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Julian Lee. And today I'm going to have my wonderful friend from America. He's American, but he's a Jew and he is currently living in Cambodia. And we met each other while he was serving as the IDF in Israel Defense Force, which might not be a glorious history and to many people's ears, but I'm sure it's there a lot of interesting stories he has to share. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, how was my introduction? I feel well introduced. I like the way you're like, <laughs> he's American, but nah, gotta bring up the Jew thing now. So, you know. Yeah, no offense, because I know like, I, you know that I love the Jews. Right. That's, that, that is surprising. <laughs> I and, knew enough of us to realize, you know, not, not so great. No, no, it's great. I mean, like, I think most of, at least half of the friends that I have in my life are Jewish. Oof. I don't <laughs> know if you want this... to admit that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the first question is, so now you're living in Cambodia. So if I walk... Mm along the street in LA and then ask around people, like how many people, how was the percentage of them would know where is Cambodia or have ever, that, uh, would they ever heard of this country? No, nobody would know. Um, I didn't know much about Cambodia basically until I got here. So, and I consider myself to be pretty knowledgeable, especially on geography and history and stuff, but I didn't know anything about Cambodia pretty much. Um, yeah. And very few people do. Like, where's the idea come from? Um, I was originally going to go to China, and I, I had already accepted a job in China and everything. Like, I was good to go, ready to go to China. And then um, just kind of thought, like, I've seen Mulan. I get it, you know? I, I know what to expect <laughs> in China. So, <laughs> and then I looked at Cambodia and thought, I don't know anything about what's going on there. I also considered Myanmar and Laos. I just looked at those places on a map and thought, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, and I just kind of arbitrarily decided to go with Cambodia because the language here doesn't have tones. And I was studying Chinese and tones were difficult for me. So the moment I saw Cambodia language, Khmer does not have tones, I said, that's, that's where I'm going because I can learn that. Does it make it easier? Much easier, yeah. Really? Tone, tones are terrible. Yeah. But what, what's the, how, how's the, the language sounds like? Can you speak a few words? 
Um, I mean, I'm not the best one because I, my accent is apparently hilarious, but ปักตมเรียนเปียสักมาเอ่อรอดสมณะเอ่อปี่ดองปี่เอ่อปี่ดองบอกปีสบายมุ้ยตมเรียนเปียสักมาปี่ดองนึงเอ่อจําจดเก
you know, there's, there's transsexuals all over the place there, right? It's quite famous for that, and it's very accepted in the society. Cambodia was colonized by the French for about 100 years. And so there is a little bit of um, ridicule sometimes for those types of people. But in general, it's nowhere near the level what it is in the West. It's known that tradition that's traditional in Cambodia for there to be um, three genders. Yeah. Can Julian hear Amiga? Sorry about the cat. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. She is a part part of our our audience. Yes. So um, so what? Like the disabled people? Like what would they do to them? Like they put them in the house or what? Yeah, families will be so ashamed at having a disabled child that they'll like have a special room in the house where they just keep the disabled kid and don't let him leave and hide from neighbors. Yeah, this happens in in rural areas. Of course, in the urban areas, you know, there's a big pushback against that now. And there is also starting to be some more movement towards mental health, things like that. But... um, Mm. And, like, Cambodia, I would assume that, like, it's just started to develop, like, in this recent 20 years right is it or yeah it basically exploded out of nowhere now there's skyscrapers and and whatever yeah and do you feel like it's immediately westernized or americanized or they do it they they explode it in their own way a mix of both i mean the idea of a, a culture being independent doesn't really exist right whenever people go oh this is authentically my culture Whereas this comes from other cultures. It's always bullshit. It's always a mix of cultures. So yeah, of course there is an American influence here as well. But um, if you ask like your average Khmer people, like which cultures they emulate, it's not going to be American. They're much more interested in Japanese and Korean culture. Not Um, the Chinese. Not so much, no. Mm. You guys are pretty bad at exporting your culture. No, I don't. I don't identify much with the Chinese culture, and I mean, like the modern Chinese culture is quite shit. I'm sure there's still lovely things, but yeah, there are some big, big issues. Uh, so, so like it is surprising. And how did Japanese culture and Korean culture get to Cambodia? Well, so first of all, Cambodia has a very unique relationship with Japan. Um, after World War II, Cambodia actually gave aid and sent doctors to Japan to try to help them recover from the war. Wow. And at that time, Cambodia was more developed than Singapore. Um, so it was, uh, it was like one of the, uh, particularly Phnom Penh was one of the wealthier hubs of Southeast Asia at the time. Yeah. Largely unaffected by the wars and stuff. Yeah, until Pol Pot. No, that was after World War II. So during World War II, Japan, as you might have learned, didn't have that many friends. Like they were real dicks to everybody. But towards the end of the war, and spoiler alert, the Japanese started to lose. Mm -hmm. And so they realized that they needed to have some friends. They had been occupying Cambodia for a while. And then they decided to give Cambodia independence and like instill like this sort of anti-French, um, started to encourage the anti-French sentiments in Cambodia. 
and gave them independence. And so Cambodia started to think of the Japanese as uh, liberators other countries where the Japanese claimed to be liberators and just kind of fucked them up. The French came and retook the country, but they only were able to hold it for about 11 years. Mm. Oh, so like if there's a lot, also a lot of French influence as well, right? I assume. Mm -hmm. Like it's still present today or no? Yes, for sure. A lot of French influence. Oh, really? Like, like what sense from day-to-day life? Day-to-day life, not so much except in architecture, mm. but the upper classes still use French. Oh, like, like the old Russian, like 19th century, Anna Karenina. Yeah. So, for example, the king, the king cannot read Khmer. Oh, really? Yeah, the king prefers French. For uh, snobbish. Yes, medical schools are still in French. <clears throat> and the film industry and art industry in general is, is dominated by French-speaking client. I actually interviewed a director a couple months back, and um, he spoke perfect French, had never been to France. <clears throat> he was like, well, I wanted to be a filmmaker, so obviously, you know, had to learn French. Yeah. His films are all in Khmer, but no, nope, French. <laughs> wow, this surprise. Mm. Yeah. And how how is like their own film? Like what kind of is it does it look very cold or does it like um kind of commercial? Um well it depends. Uh they, they do have a lot of art house films. Mm. Um uh, you you got me on a good line of questioning because you are talking to one of the foremost leading experts on Cambodian film. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the majority is actually horror films. They love horror films in this part of the world. But oh, they're I also scattered art house films. And Cambodia just released its first uh, sci-fi movie called Karma Link, which is pretty well well produced. Like Karma Link. Karma Link. Like Link, Link with Karma. Mm. And how basically <laughs> using super science, some Cambodian scientists make a device which allows you to sync up with your previous lives and um, find your karma and things like that. So it's very, uh, there's a lot of Khmer cultural elements to it. Super unique. Yes. Well, I, I remember like when I grew up in Hong Kong, like the Southeast Asian horror movie is really popular. And like it's quite dominated, and I watch a few of them. It's like creepy as hell. Yeah, yeah, particularly Thai. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I, it, Thai learned it. So originally, it was the Cambodians who were making all those movies. The Cambodian film industry was completely destroyed by the Khmer Rouge, hmm. and then Thailand started sort of taking over and making the same style of horror movies. So, so I mean, like I, in the, in those horror movies, I saw a lot. Like they would cast spells on people, and a lot of kind of superstitious practice. And is it really like this in Cambodia? I mean, nowadays do people like believe in these kind of rituals, or they do stuff like this? Certainly, yeah. Really? Like if you don't like your colleague, you can put a spell on him. Um. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. 
a lot of people out in the countryside will consult witch doctors and things like that. I have a fun story for you, if you'd like, yeah. uh, from a friend of mine, a journalist who was uh, covering um, murder of a sorcerer. Mm. It's not the first murder of a sorcerer, but he had heard that out in the countryside, some guy in the village was killed as a sorcerer. And he thought that was very interesting. It's like the witch trials in the United States. Yeah. And um, so first he went to a university here. In, in the capital. And there he's able to talk to very well-educated Cambodians who told him about like my folk beliefs and whatever and all of these superstitions. Then he went out into the countryside, hooked up with a local journalist and started interviewing the villagers right outside of the city. And they started just telling him the weirdest stuff that basically all people in the village started to get sick. Mm. We consulted a witch doctor. Um, obviously, Nowadays, we know it was COVID. So <laughs> suddenly getting sick in their village. Uh, they consulted a witch doctor, and the witch doctor was like, yep, there's a sorcerer. He's doing black magic. You got to find him. And they asked him, well, how do we find who the sorcerer is? And basically, the guy said, whoever's the biggest dick in your village, that's the sorcerer. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, oh, they said, there's this one man in our village He's always drunk and he beats his wife. Nobody likes him. Is is could that be it? The witch doctor said, "You know what? Just tell me. That's the guy. That's the sorcerer." So they chopped him up with a machete. Wow, wow, wow! Yeah. So my friend interviews them about this, and he's there with a, a local journalist from that area, you know, for a small newspaper covering those villages. And he tells the guy, all right, well, I'm going to write this up for the international papers, and I'm going to say how, you know, you know, the angle I'm going to take is that in this part of the world, they're using um, superstitions to sort of mete out justice while also kind of alleviate fears over their lack of medical stuff. The other journalist said, well, from my perspective, uh, sounds to me like that guy was a sorcerer, and, you know, they did a good thing by getting rid of him. <laughs> And this is only a few kilometers outside of Phnom Penh, where you had people from universities able to quite accurately describe why people believe these things. But mm. yes, you have this dichotomy. It reminds me of when the first hot air balloon was shown in Paris, you know, this mm. huge advance in science. And they flew the hot air balloon, but it blew away. And it landed in a village like 10 miles outside of Paris. And the peasants thought it was a, a dragon and attacked it with swords. <laughs> Ooh, like, wow. that's what development looks like, right? The difference yeah. between a Parisian and the average peasant, uh, you know, 200 years ago. Also, they are like, some aspects, like 100 years behind, right? Like, in Cambodia. Yeah, you could say. Yeah, wow. But how do, like, this is not convincing enough. Like, the guy is drunk and beat his wife doesn't mean he has a big dick. What? Is like a big the... dick. <laughs> he has a big dick. Not has, is, is like an asshole, a bad man. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Not who has a big dick, like <laughs> who is the, the person you all hate in the village. <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, okay, I see. Wow. Sorry about my microphone quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, as an American, 
in Cambodia, I would assume like as this country nobody really heard about, there might be very, very, very little white people there, Caucasian. So you might probably very distinguished while you walk on the street. So how, how do you? Sure. I mean, not really, because the area I live has the majority of foreigners. So I actually bump into not only other, they call them barangs here, white people. It literally means French, by the way. So all white people are called French. Because like I have, I, I used to live in Beijing for a few years. I mean, like Beijing is already quite a big cosmopolitan city in China. And there are a lot of foreigners who live there, work there, study there. But I, I have a friend who is Dutch and he is like maybe six foot uh, two, three and blonde. So he said when he is like walking in, in, in China, in Beijing, just everyone is looking at him all the time, which makes him very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you get that sometimes. You don't get that in the neighborhoods where I am in Cambodia. But if I leave this neighborhood, yeah, I would get that. I mean, mm. if you leave Phnom Penh, uh, people might stop and ask for pictures. Mm. Do you enjoy it? Uh, it's funny, but no, I wouldn't say I enjoy it. No. Yeah. And it's funny, but it does make me feel slightly uncomfortable. Hmm. So, what what practically you're doing in Cambodia? Like your work. Um. Well, um I was a teacher and a journalist. Um, journalism isn't going so well these last few weeks, but we'll see. It's a dictatorship. Is it a dictatorship? Um, of course not. The Lord Supreme Commander, Prime Minister Hun Sen, um, long may he reign, dragon in human form, um, has just won every election since 1985. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> There was one election that had international observers, and then he actually slightly lost the election. But then they reviewed it in the court and found that the other political parties were all illegal. Um, and so they had to redo the election. And uh, Lord Supreme Commander, Prime Minister, Dragon in Human Form, Hun Sen, won yet again. So yeah. won with more than 90% of the vote. So. Wow. Sounds very Chinese. And... Uh have you do you see yourself like living in Cambodia for long term? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How, 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 what what seduces you so much? Um. You can just show up here and be anything, basically, which is fantastic for foreigners, and the country is developing so fast. Um, lovely to have a sense of optimism you know in in israel in europe in the u.s um there's this sense that the good times are over that you know everyone knows they're going to have a lower quality of life than their parents did prices are going up wages aren't and it's inevitable like people are correct it's, it's going to get worse and worse whereas here everyone knows it's only going to get better and better mm. So it's nice to be in that optimism. 
Yeah. So it would be a nice time to invest in Cambodia, probably. Yeah, many people do. And uh, can you get a citizenship eventually? Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. Can you convert into Cambodian? Like if I convert into a Judaism? It's extremely difficult to get citizenship here. Wow. Like, just to make sure there's no traitor, right? Um, well, I don't know. I don't know why. Personally, I, I think citizenship is stupid in general. Yeah? How come? Yeah. Mm. A bird doesn't need a passport to go from one area to another. Oh. Why the fuck do I have less rights than a bird? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, you have lived in many, many different places, right? So you, yes. you were, uh, you spent some time in, the, the, like, the little country in the middle of, of, of Pacific. What's the name? Tonga. Huh? Tonga. 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 Yeah, Tonga. How is Tonga like? Tonga is, is the, the happiest place I've ever been. I would say that. Like, you were the happiest, or the people who live in Tonga were the happiest? Uh, the people themselves. Uh, I, I mean, I had a fun time there. Yeah. Um, but no, there, there's no pressure in life. I mean, they live on an island, especially like in the main city, in the capital city, Nukualofa. Um, um, there, I think people are quite miserable because they're kind of caught up in the capitalist lifestyle and the country is poor. So they're fucked and they feel it. But if you go into like the islands, like I was mostly on the island of Vava'u. Um, yeah, people are poor, but it doesn't matter. Like they don't care. Like it's an island. Everybody knows each other. Um, you have all the basic necessities for life right at your fingertips. I mean, there's enough wild stuff growing. You can just walk into the jungle and grab what you need for the day. Yeah. The fish practically jump out of the ocean to you. So you can go just fish a meal very quickly. There, the, like stores, for example, will often just close because the owner just like, you know, I made money today. Like some, you'll, you'll go in, especially for me. And when I got there, oh, I need to buy all this. So I walk into a store and mm. I bought some provisions and they went, oh, okay, I'm going to, that's enough money for me. I'm going to go to the beach now. And they just went. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, like, I always, like, it's always in my mind when I go to different places or stay in different community, alternative communities. Like, when I was in Israel, I've been to some communities that they share everything and uh, operate, like, in communism in a good way. And now I'm living in the most capitalistic city in Europe. And I really don't know, like, which one is better for human being. Because I, for example, I felt really, really happy when I was living in the commune that, like, you don't need to worry about things. You have a lot of free time. I can just have, hang out with my friends every day in the evening, smoke a joint, and chat about whatever we want to talk about. Um, however, I, I would feel a little bit, like, undriven but like now when i'm living in london i feel like 
everyone around me are very ambitious and driven. They're pursuing the, the dream, which is very good as well. And, but other other side is that like people are quite suffer from anxiety and depression and they're grumpy. So what do you think? What do you think? What kind of um, society or what kind of way of living is the best for us human being from your point Keyboards of view? Keyboards for sure. Hmm? Keyboards, no question to me. And I would say that, like, even sometimes I feel like um, when I go, go to the keyboards, I feel like people um, undriven in some way, like, um, or there's some sleaziness because the life is too comfortable. But I found that the education system there is, I would say it's like the best. I would love my kids to grow up in such uh, an environment. Like every day you walk up, you get with all the kids and then you have a walk around the kibbutz, go to the zoo, go to the field, go to the dining room, and spend a lot of time outdoor playing. And because the kibbutz, there's um, fans like uh, uh, surrounded and everyone know each other, it's like family. So the kids can just run around and they don't worry. It's like that will be some human trafficker to take the, take the sun away. And it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. And do you find something like a kibbutz in Cambodia, like some kind of alternative community? No. no? I mean, there used to be, but they killed everybody. So, you know. Mm. So what, what exactly happened in the 70s under the um, rule of Pol Pot? Um... One of the worst mass killings in, in human history, uh, about a quarter, depending on who estimates, about a quarter of Cambodians died in the span of a few years. Yeah. So it was pretty it, bad. It's very, it's very uh, hard to find someone who is worse than Mao, right? Yeah, no, Paul Pot was worse than Mao, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it was very different. Because the interesting thing is Pol Pot didn't have um, a cult of personality like in other communist regimes. In fact, Pol Pot was anonymous at the time. Oh, in what sense? What do you mean anonymous? It, it, the country was run by Anka, literally the organization. Mm. Nobody was told who its members were. It was just like, oh, it's an organization of the people which takes care of everything. Mm. So he's not like those kind of charismatic leader, you know, like Mao or Che Guevara, like this kind of... Che Guevara never ran a country. Yeah. No, and... Pop was very soft-spoken. Uh, he was a teacher and um, a history teacher. And he, um, yeah, was not particularly interested in personal fame and glory. So he kept himself anonymous. No one knew who was in charge of the country. Mm. Uh, and he, he killed basically all the smart people, right? Yes. Mm. So uh, he had this other mm. idea. Like his idea was much more um, nationalist than um, 
of what you might call primitivism. So he believed all foreign influences had to be destroyed in Cambodia. Um, and basically, he thought that the ideal Cambodian were the tribal people living up in the mountains. And so he took everybody from cities. He just, like Phnom Penh, he, he took everyone out of the city and sent them into the jungle and said, like, okay, you guys now need to live in villages because that's the real Khmer way. So he was more than just communist. He wasn't the, like, he certainly wasn't like a Marxist style communist. He had a lot of Maoist because Mao also Soviet style communism valued the urban poor, whereas Mao valued the rural. Um, but, you know, Mao would never dream of eradicating Beijing, right? Whereas that's what, <laughs> Paul mm. Pop wanted. He wanted the cities to be destroyed. He took everyone out of Phnom Penh except for like a skeleton crew to keep it clean and uh, you know run the airport. Crazy. Yeah. So this is an interesting question. How does a country like all the intellectuals being wiped out, and how to rebuild this group again? How to rebuild like? Culture people. A massive problem, yeah. They're, like, all of the intellectuals died. So, but basically, it's, the country is very much run by um, either people who are in the, the, people who are in the Khmer Rouge are often still in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are foreigners who run things in the country. And Cambodians who were not in Cambodia during that, which is another reason why so many of them are French speaking. A lot of them went to France during the Khmer Rouge and then came back to Cambodia. Um, like the richest guy in Cambodia, Kip Mang, Kip Mang, his name is. He's, I think, Cambodia's only official billionaire. Um, and he, you know, he lived in Australia. He, fled the Khmer Rouge as a kid. Um, he, he did go through some hard times. But then he went to Australia, went to school there, and once the Khmer Rouge fell, he came back to Cambodia and just started buying land because there was no one there to buy it. You could buy it for so extraordinarily cheap. There were no laws, basically. And like everyone who used to live in Phnom Penh was kind of dead. So if you just bribed a government official, well, boom, you could get the, you know, 10 apartments of some people who died during the Khmer Rouge, whose apartments are now vacant. And um, so he did that and established the largest real estate company in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And not just real estate, I mean, they own parts of everything. Yeah, smart dude. Yeah, his, uh, his vice president, uh, who uh, I've hung out with a little bit is um, Palestinian. What? Really? Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. How come? What do you mean, how come? He's Palestinian Jordanian. I mean, born and raised in, I think, Shrem uh, or Nablus. Um, refugee to Jordan. Started businesses in. Um, Israel, um, and somehow ended up here. 
I like music for, like when I go to Zara, like I buy a sweater. A lot of time is written, maybe in Cambodia as well. Yep, yep. The, the textiles are the number one economic product of Cambodia. Mm. And um, there are a lot of ethical problems with the textile industry, to be, to be sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah. One one instance, I don't know if you're familiar with Puma. Yeah, Puma, yeah. Uh, Puma Shoes. It's yeah, a the shoe, German shoe company. So some of their workers went on strike here in Cambodia, the people who make the Puma Shoes. They went on strike asking for um, a very slight wage increase. And um, they sent people in to shoot them. So... In, in to shoot them? Yep. Really? No way. Yeah. The shot, You're kidding uh, me. I think shot three and killed one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's how your clothes get made, if that's what you're wondering. It's important. We, we don't have this awareness. We, we, when, we, when we're enjoying this, like, um, benefits of globalization in the modern world, I don't... I think one thing to always keep in mind is we... It's very comfortable to think, oh, I have a good lifestyle and that person has a bad lifestyle. And sometimes people think of that and, you know, they feel a little bit sad, but they're like, ah, well, whatever. But the truth is you and I have good lifestyles because they have bad lifestyles. Have any of a few words want to uh, add or encourage people to move to Cambodia? It's a fantastic, fantastic country. Um, it has a lot to offer. It's very unique. It's very lovely. Life is very easy here for foreigners. Um, and there are ways that you can very easily contribute to the country and be part of making it better. Because as uh, skill were all killed off a few decades ago. So if you have a specific skill set, there's a very good chance that that skill set in Cambodia, and you could very easily find a job and start making a big difference. Wonderful. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Mm -hmm.